graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Gary Michael Schultz, and this is Cinematic Quicksand, the podcast where we talk about some of the most badass movies ever made. I'd like to introduce my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, the gentleman who once wore Snake Plissken's eye patch as a thong. I'm talking about my boy, the Doge, Michael Dozier. Thank you for the intro, Gary. Sorry, Snake, about the pink eye a little background doge and i are both professional filmmakers and screenwriters uh we're both from chicago we met 20 years ago yeah uh, at a funeral uh became fast friends and uh we've made countless films together yeah Um, we um we both maxed out credit cards together have driven across the country filming out of a van together we've we've been through it all and now here we are, finally. <laughs> Pulled over by the police countless numbers of times. Yes, yes. All that has led to a podcast. Um, I think it's important to say, though, that uh, above all else, we are film fans. And this podcast is going to be an exploration and a celebration of some of the films that uh, helped to influence us. Yes, these films made me a better person so i automatically assume that they will make you a better person (laughs) so either way uh let's jump into it man our first episode we want to talk about our dirty dozen explain it to me well the dirty dozen see now i'm not saying these are the 12 best films i'm not but i'm just saying these films are in my dna these films are what makes mike dozier mike dozier you know i'm saying if you put all these films into like some weird machine and it like gabbled up all the data and then spit out a person, that person would be me. So we were making this this list, okay? And it was a little more challenging than I thought. Uh, that's an understatement. Um, when we originally conceived this idea, we thought it would be a good way to introduce our tastes. And we both quickly realized how fucking almost impossible it was. We had to do it. It's not called um, the Dirty 14, so you know that doesn't make any sense. Although I, I, I did pitch the Thirsty 13 because it was really hard to make 12. Yeah, we're lucky we didn't do Hateful Eight. It would have been a lot harder. I would have quit before we started. Fantastic Four. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> well, but here we go. All right. With so that being said, the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, let's start it off with the 1987 classic directed by John McTiernan, Predator. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. This is my jam. If you don't know what Predator is about, it's about a, a group of impossibly muscular special force dudes that go to the jungle to kill one ugly motherfucker. <laughs> and that, that ugly motherfucker is Predator, who is an alien, but not alien alien, just like an alien. And he's all like invisible and he's got an awesome shoulder cannon and a cool mask and he's just jumping around. He's got quads for days <laughs> and he just rips out uh, spines and skulls and, and collects those. It's a pretty cool, cool dude. Safe to say he has a face only a mother would love. Exactly. And what I love about Predator so much is that um, Predator goes around like killing people and taking skulls as trophies. 
And uh, I'm a bald guy, and I have a perfectly round head. And I I have to have this feeling that if it, it is quite symmetrical. Thank you. I mean, uh, if if you got to be bald, at least I have a head like this, you know. Yeah. So I have no doubt that if Predator exists, he is killing me like right away. And, and and cherishing and, my skull. Yeah, and probably with ease. Oh, with <laughs> complete ease. With complete ease. Uh, this special forces team. Oh, yeah. So this special forces team. Obviously, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger at peak Arnold Schwarzenegger. Peak Schwarzenegger. I mean, sweaty and just muscles on muscles on muscles. And then you have Carl Weathers and Jesse the Body Ventura. And just, yeah. you got Bill Duke. Oh, with eyes that'll see through your soul. He's the scariest one of them all. <laughs> like, ignore the muscles. Bill Duke just stares at you. And that is more frightening than any bicep pump Arnold has ever rocked. What connects you personally to this movie? I have a tattoo of Predator. <laughs> and let me be fair. It's not a cool tattoo of, like, Predator being cool. Um it is a really shitty, poorly done uh, tattoo of the little red triangle that Predator puts on his victim. His laser scope. Yeah, his laser scope. Um, and you have this on your body where? I have it exactly where Carl Weathers got shot. So, that, spoiler alert, Carl Weathers gets shot. <laughs> Carl Weathers gets shot in his bicep, and his bicep gets blown off, and his arms laying on the ground but the gun that he was holding is still firing. It's still in the arm's hand and the a arm. A severed arm is fucking is shooting. I could have picked a lot of different 80s action over the top action movies, but I went with Predator because I have a perfectly round bald head and I have a tattoo and that's why it's on my list. <laughs> All right, Gary, I uh, showed you mine. Now show me yours. <laughs> I will show you mine and you shall be impressed. <laughs> I am talking about Stanley Kubrick's 1980 classic, The Shining. Here's Johnny. <laughs> this film stars Jack Nicholson playing Jack Torrance as a uh, recovered, not so recovered alcoholic who may also be psychotic and have murderous tendencies. Uh, he takes his wife, uh, played by a very skeletal Shelley Duvall, yes. up into the mountains where uh, he and her and their five-year-old son, Danny, are going to watch over the Overlook Hotel. Uh, what's special about this hotel is that it is haunted as fuck. Yeah. And their five-year-old son has psychic abilities and can talk to ghosts. Well, that sounds like a lovely family drama. I hope it works out well for everyone. It works out fantastic for everyone. What is about The Shining that uh, connects to you? What do you... It's the slow burn descent into madness that Jack goes through um, that draws me in because you're essentially seeing this man become possessed by his own demons that are being brought out by the ghosts of this hotel. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think a lot of people see The Shining as that. They see it as a haunted house movie, but really when you bring the demons with you, uh, it, it brings another element to it. That's yeah, yeah. Point. And, you know, also Stanley Kubrick being obviously known for, you know, him being known for being uh, one of the most meticulous directors, this film is gorgeous. Um, it's the composition of this film isn't just probably the best composition I've ever seen in a horror film. It's some of the best composition I've ever seen in a film. His use of the Steadicam, which was you know a, a device that was only five or six years old, and he would flip it upside down to do those crazy tracking shots low to the floor. Really, this was just—it's an epic. It's just yeah. massive, you yeah. know. Um, you it's so rich and vibrant. What now? I know that you love this movie. Obviously, I, I'm not surprised that it's on your list. We've watched it many of times, and I know that you have infinite knowledge on this movie. But <laughs> give me, give me one of those deep cuts that maybe I didn't know about The Shining, or 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 a little fun fact because I I know you gotta have something for me. I see The Shining books. I see the typewriter on your desk <laughs> that says, um. All work, All work and no, no play. play. Make and, Gary a dull boy. And yeah, it's that's a thing that's really in this office. Red rum. Red rum. Red rum. I most recently read an article, uh, rather an interview with Shelley Duvall today, who essentially lives in seclusion um, where she... Because, um, yeah, yeah, she was ruined by yeah, Stanley Kubrick. This and other things. is you, you have to understand, Stanley shot this film for a year and a half. And for 75% of this movie, Shelley Duvall is running, screaming, and bawling her eyes out. So imagine, every single day for a year, you spend 12 hours a day crying your eyes out well actually to be honest i've i've actually done that this past year <laughs> um so but I'm, I'm coming up on a year and a half but yeah you're, i mean you're totally right it's so you just, can't imagine this it, it's exhausting it is i'm exhausted i can't imagine you know having to do that and yes yeah, so, so picture stanley kubrick yelling at you to do it right and stanley then. kubrick's definitely more uh visually scary than than me yelling at myself in the mirror yeah so um if if you're showing this to somebody for their very first time, uh, what what do you hope that they get out of it? It's not just a scary movie full of what we already described as obvious iconic imagery, but this is a character study, and ultimately of one character's descent into madness um, that threatens the lives of the other members of his family. And let's just go ahead and say it: it it might be the most well acted horror film in history. Yeah, it could be. I mean, Hereditary might want to talk to you about that, but you're right. You can argue with Jack? I, I don't know. I mean, Tony Collette's <laughs> awesome too, but you're She's right. It's, it's an excellent point. It really uh, showed that to make movies really scary and frightening um, hit you on a personal level. Make those people real. Make make the threat, you know, uh, yourself or the victim, someone really close to you. And that just adds that other element of horror. Um, that not many horror films um, have the the confidence to go after. You know? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Uh, I think up until that point, there was no other film like The Shining. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with the 1999 classic directed by David Fincher. I'm going Fight Club. Oh, Welcome to Fight Club. 
more sweaty men. Yes, more sweaty men. That's this is really what I'm into. So really, if you haven't seen Fight Club, it's about a square dude played by Ed Norton who meets the coolest, raddest, baddest, sexiest dude to ever exist, Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt. Of course. And uh, he basically loses his mind listening to Tyler and trying to take down the man. Um, there's, it was a moment of time. 1999 was kind of weird and fight club just kind of hit that moment. You know, Um, I'm trying to become a man myself, 17 looking, looking to be a grown person. I feel that I'm an Ed Norton character, but I want to be Tyler Durden. Yeah. The juxtaposition of those two characters, I think is what makes the film special. Ed Norton is who most of us are. And Tyler Durden represents, the things a lot of us would probably like to say or be, you know, I think a lot of us sometimes feel like we better lack of terms, go with the flow and none of us want to be sheeple. Right. Um, And Tyler Durden does represent that. He represents raging against the machine. Fight Club really is about a band of misfits. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, And from talking to you right now, it's safe to say your favorite character is Tyler Durden, but we should also mention Robert Paulson. Thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, right now, safe to say meatloaf's man tits. (laughs) Right now, I'm relating more to meatloaf just how my body has just gone to shit. Um, But yeah, I want to be I want to be Tyler Durden. I feel that I'm Ed Norton, but realistically, I'm meatloaf. This is bullshit. I'm not listening to this. You are insane. No, you're insane. Give us a hidden gem about this film that maybe people don't know about. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the writer of this film, Chuck Polnick. He wrote the movie Choke also that had Sam Rockwell in it. Great Mm. writer, seen all this stuff. And he was telling this story one time. In the movie, Meatloaf wears uh, this suit, this fat suit. Gives him uh, bitch tits. That's what they say. That's what they're called. So, um, <laughs> so he wore this suit that was all like gross and had, you know, big saggy boobs. And they donated it to Planet Hollywood in a display case. So they had this like big Fight Club like display there, and the health department um, shut it down because of the bacteria in the fat suit that was hanging in Planet Hollywood. They had to take it down. So Meatloaf sweated. Because sweated he's, because his, he's meatloaf. Yeah, his sweat bacteria uh, got them a health violation, so they had a uh, and shut down Planet Hollywood. Planet Hollywood, which is just so kind of funny that there's props of Fight Club in Planet Hollywood because Fight Club Tyler Durden you know, would hate Planet Hollywood. He would not be a big fan <laughs> of Planet Hollywood. If people are watching this film for the first time today, uh, what is it that you hope they take away from it? This is a very bratty and angsty movie of just being you know fucked off by. Uh, the one percenters essentially before we even knew what the one percenters are and i think you kind of see what we're doing now again you want to do the game stock or any any of those little social Mm. movements Mm. i feel that they're we can learn a little bit from tyler durden um and use that information now i think just really see how things were in 99 and look how we kind of got away from it but i think we're coming back to it yeah tyler durden really was um about finding individuality in yourself and strength in yourself and what defines masculinity. Yes. And again, I think there's some people that are like, you know, Tyler Durden shouldn't be a role model. I disagree. I I mean, no one like, yeah, his plan would have worked. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not going to have any spoilers, but really like when you watch this movie, if you've never seen it before, there's going to be a 
point where your mind's going to blow, get blown and just embrace it's going to melt. It's it. going to yeah, melt. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's safe to say, uh, debauchery, carnage. And, uh, I would say, watch this movie with somebody you feel comfortable punching in the face because you're going to want to do that after you watch it. And the eighth and final rule. If this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. My next film up in the Dirty Dozen is the 1993 classic. And yes, all the movies I mentioned are classics, even if they're instant classics. Richard Linkletter's masterpiece, Dazed and Confused. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Days to Confuse, if you don't know, is uh, basically the day in the life of two teenagers. Mitch Kramer, who is coming into his freshman year, and Randall Pink Floyd, the football star, who's going into his senior year, and kind of how their lives parallel each other. And it's really a true day in the life of peace. Yeah. Uh, it takes place in 1976. Um, I was obsessed with this film. Like, obsessed. <laughs> uh, there was a point in my life where a friend of mine who introduced me to this film, probably two years after it came out, uh, we watched it every single day for an entire summer. I mean, they, what, did you ever look at a dollar bill, man? There's some spooky stuff going on on a dollar bill, man. Yeah. I mean, and it's green, too. And uh, uh, I just think it's special because the way R Richard Linkletter worked, uh, this was his second film. He's a Texas boy. Um, and he's always kind of worked outside of the system, dabbled in the Hollywood system a couple of times. But he's just this guy that has a unique, strong voice that I feel is really authentic. And I wanted to be in Dazed and Confused. Yeah. I mean, you you have that Dazed and Confused energy. You definitely have that Dazed uh, <laughs> <laughs> energy uh, for sure. But you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's such an, a simple story that's just so authentic and real. Like it's just a nice little snapshot. It feels like you're flipping through a yearbook. That he did a great job. Yeah, of just and creating this world. You know, there's an old uh, writing rule that somebody much smarter than I said, um, which is um, to keep your plots simple and make your characters complex. And I think Dazed and Confused is the epitome of that. And that's why it's so watchable. Because these are, like you mentioned, authentic characters that are complex. But this coming-of-age thing just feels so real. Uh, you want to drive around in hot rods. You want to get in a fist fight. You want to smoke a dube. Um, of yeah. You want to spray some mustard and ketchup on people. <laughs> you want to do it all, yeah. Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> um, when someone's watching this for the first time, what do you what do you hope they get out of it? What kind of experience do you want them to It's something that, even though it's a movie that takes place 20 years before the time I saw it, it just goes to show you how we still struggle with the same issues as teenagers, uh, the same identity crises. You know, Linkler tried to do the 70s high school experience in a 90s movie. So you got to feel mm. that this movie, if it's done now, which makes me feel really old and um, disconnected. I don't like that idea. I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, I see if, what you're saying. Uh, yeah, right now, if Linkletter made Dazed and Confused, it would be about the odds and we'd all be wearing Jankos. No, you didn't wear Jank. Dude, you were a dork then. <laughs> you're a dork you now, wearing, motherfucker. I hope you weren't wearing Jankos in 2000, dog. <laughs> no comment. You just got to keep living, man. 
L-I-V-I-N. You gave me a coming-to-age comedy, and I will give you the best coming-of-age comedy and the best comedy ever. The best comedy ever. Yes. 2007, mm. Greg Motato, <laughs> super bad. So it's just McLovin? Yeah. <laughs> That's badass. It is badass. Really it's cool. badass, yeah. yeah. Uh, super bad. Wow. Yeah. Su- super bad is just about Seth and Nevin going on a wild last night of high schoolers, the last high school party before they split off and go to different colleges. And these dudes are doing what every high school kid tries to do is impress women with alcohol and try to get lucky. And the adventures that they go on and the friendship bond that uh, is strengthened through this night is something beautiful and hilarious. I should buy Becca alcohol? Yeah, then we pimp. That way you know she'll be drunk. You know when you hear a girl saying like, oh, I was so shit-faced last night. I shouldn't have fucked that guy. We could be that mistake. Let me backtrack and tell you I'm a little surprised Superbad made your list. I think it's a great film. I laugh my ass off at this film. Um, but this is in Dozier's DNA as the greatest comedy. Yeah, I think that, you know... Uh, again, the, my personal experience to this movie is just is really strong. It's something that I am I relate to uh, on every level. Yeah, I wasn't a cool kid, but I I love a good bromance. I love the relationships I have with my friends. I love the dumb shit that I did with my friends in high school and <laughs> even into twenties. And I I'm just drawn to the movie because every every line is hilarious and then there's just really so much heart though too and it's just so earnest and honest yeah. like these kids aren't cool they're not trying to be anything that they're they aren't they're awkward they're crude and they're you know 17 18 years old that's like they capture that perfectly it's treated with hilarity and honesty and the chemistry between uh, uh, Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah is it's is perfect. phenomenal. It's yeah. phenomenal. And then the supporting cast. Yeah. I mean, um, you have Bill Hader and Seth Rogen. Come on. You just cock blocked McLovin? Okay, he's our friend. We don't do that. We should be guiding his cock, not blocking it. It's a fun world um, that they created. It's real. Um, and I feel that it's relatable. Like, I've. I've I've been in those moments. Who's your favorite character in this film? Who do you relate to most? I have to go with Evan, played by Michael Sarah. I mean, it's up to you, Fogle. This guy's either gonna think, here's another kid with a fake ID, or here's McLovin, the 25-year-old Hawaiian organ donor. Because mm. that's how I feel I am. I I feel that I have purchased a, a bottle of spermicidal lube before <laughs> in high school. Like, I thought that that's, that was the ace in my back pocket that I needed. Like the, the being a sweet guy and being like, Oh, you know, um, here, here's some, some liquor or, you know, like how, how awkward and gentleman he, he thought he had to be, which a good thing he did. Um, I feel that that awkwardness is just like I have like PTSD from it. Like when I when I watch it, I'm just like cringe. And I'm like, yep, I've I've said these words too. And and the scene where he's at the house party and he gets trapped with these very scary dudes doing cocaine, and oh. he's just kind of like awkwardly standing in the corner. Like I've I've experienced similar situations like that, and it's thank God that I'm uh, kind of 
witty and I can get myself out of that situation. It's just like, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've been in those situations too. Like it's just such a fun, relatable movie that, um, again, like I, how I said fight club and 99, I think if you were, um, around this age that you can relate to these super bad characters that you're like, no, this is like, they nailed it perfectly. I mean, that was, growing up for me that was my high school experience they captured that and we didn't even talk about the <laughs> emma stone just her like breakout like who would have thought that emma stone uh would go on to be one of the biggest actresses around when a uh oscar this super bad cast uh has some hitters i mean jonah hill is a bona fide filmmaker movie star now and yeah so is emma stone and she got a fucking oscar yeah yeah. You know, and Jonah's got two noms, you know, like yeah. who, who would have thought that? I think we're both in agreement that, you know, uh, comedy is probably the hardest to do, but the best comedy, unless you're doing slapstick, uh, comes from who the characters are and the world they live in. They have to believe the moment for it to be funny. Exactly. I mean, much like we, we said about The Shining, to make things like really scary, you need like real people or like a type of emotion that you can... Uh, tie yourself to and I think that's what comedy works too is it's like when you have comedy that has like earnest and like genuine heart and these characters uh, are real and they're real to one another then you know like of course I love I love silly slapstick movies uh, as well but sure. for them to really resonate hit hard and to be in the DNA you need to be funny and you need to have um, some emotional connection that uh, I can I can latch on to. So. Yeah, you know, well, I'm sorry, Evan, that the Coen brothers don't direct the porn that I watch. They're hard to get a hold of, okay? All right, Doge, next on my list is a film I believe is also on your list. It is the greatest horror comedy ever made. Damn right it's on my list. <laughs> I'm talking Evil Dead 2. Groovy. Directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell. He plays Ash Williams, who is a lovable idiot, um, who returns to the same cabin. He spent Evil Dead 1 getting chased around by demons and spirits. Like, Evil Dead 2 is more like Evil Dead 1 and a half, because it's essentially the same story. They keep it simple. Dude goes into a cabin. There's a, there's a tape recorder here. See what's on it. Uh, of course, he has to snoop around. Hits play on the tape recorder. Some Latin shit comes out. Next thing yeah. you know, Necronomicon is bringing the forest alive and demons and spirits are trying to possess you and kill you. Yeah, it sounds pretty basic, but it's how everything is done. That the execution is, the is fucking brilliant. Fun, scary, ridiculous, gross, and you either fuck with it and you get it or you are not my friend. So that's how much, that's how aggressive my love for Evil Dead 2 is. Okay. And how would you say it's different from the first one? I think, I mean, yeah, it's just large, it's just leaner, meaner, just... To me, it's the infusion of comedy into it. Where the first one was funny in parts, this one, they knew what they had, yeah. and I think the whole world they, was blown away by really the physical comedy. Their, yeah, they played to their strengths in this one. Yeah, sure. their love of the Three Stooges, they infused that into the one of the grossest, stickiest movies. Well, and, well uh, the fun thing about that is, like you, you mentioned, it's all this different types of blood and green and slime and all that 
that was the loophole they exposed so they could make it as gross as possible. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they got an X rating for the first one because that's the way shit rolled when you were independent back then and you had too much blood or too much cursing or whatever. And uh, the way they tried to get around that this time around was to use very little red blood. So the blood's black and green and every other color under the sun minus red, um, which kind of makes it worse in a yeah, lot of respects. Oh, no, it makes it so much better. Like, you couldn't... if. Evil Dead, if that was all blood, it would just be like a washed out. But it was such a fun and smart and creative choice that really like that's the that's the genesis qua. What was the uh, thing you told me the other day that in this film uh, Ash gets waterboarded with blood? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically a yeah ninety minute waterboard of, of blood. So. I mean, hell yeah, that's that's what I uh, want It's to so good, and it features one of the most iconic scenes in all of horror cinema, which is when Ash, Bruce Campbell, his hand is possessed by the demonic force and tries to kill him, his own hand. Yes, I'm saying this correctly. And he fights with his own hand, and it is fucking brilliant. True man versus man shit. It's man, man versus, versus hand. Man versus hand. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have enough man versus hand conflict, and this is one of the few movies that explore that that topic. I think this and Idle Hands, I guess. Um, but oh, this Idle one, Hands has definitely taken a whole. Oh hell yeah! If Idle Hands. If Evil Dead Two didn't happen, Idle Hands wouldn't exist. And there's probably a thousand horror films that you could probably hold on. Say that hold about. on. Let's walk this down. So Evil Two doesn't happen. Idle Hands doesn't exist. Does the world get Jessica Alba? Oh, whoa. So, are Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell You're responsible? Welcome. Exactly. You're, You're welcome. welcome. Look at wow. that shit. We just yeah, figured that there out. There it is. That's Bam. just what happened. Gotcha, didn't I, you little sucker? What do you think uh, uh, really attracted you to this film? Because back in your teaching days, you actually did this as a play with your students. Yeah, I um, just loved how uh, confident this movie was made. It's just such a fun ride and it's something that i've never seen before like when i saw evil dead 2 i was like this is the first movie i've ever seen anything like this yeah and that was just like when you get to see and i saw it pretty late honestly i probably saw it like 16 or 17 years old sure well that's around the right time 15 to even 16 i think i saw it when i was 15 on vhs yeah and i think i saw the second one first i can't honestly recall because the first two blend together yeah so so much i um, remember like evil dead one when i watched evil dead one that kind of fucked me. that was a little that's too spicy for me I don't know. Scary really, little like, raw. Yeah, the there's some some brutal stuff, and I was just like, nah, I'm good. Obviously, I'm talking about the tree rape in Evil Dead One. That never. You were tiptoeing around me. that, and I was wondering it, if you were going to say it, it or the not. Tree rape and the the ankle bit, like that. Oh, the oh the pencil of the ankle. Uh, nah, Ooh, that's why I'm out. That's why. I'm but out on. but Evil Dead Two is even gorier, but the violence is different. Yes. You know, Bruce Campbell takes a chainsaw to himself. But it's We're not definitely more exactly fantastical, how. you know? It's yes, just, yes, there you go. What I love about Evil Dead 2 is sharing it with people, too. So you decided to corrupt America's youth while you were teaching. Yeah, I'm like, you know what? These kids need to fucking learn. You're going down. How did the parents feel about that? Um, well, luckily... We did a kick-ass performance, and it was so badass that nobody could say anything about it. Fuck yeah. So that was the thing. If it sucked, then yeah, I would have heard it, but everyone was just like, that melted my mind. I don't know what else. And who did you pimp this idea out to and got a nice email Um, from? Yeah, I actually was just like, you know what? One way to inspire these kids, you know, you got to give them a little performance pump-up talk. 
I reached out to Bruce Campbell. I got his email from you. Um, I sent him an email talking about how I'm a high school drama teacher and I'm from the South Side of Chicago. What up? I got a group of ragtag kids and they need a little <laughs> pump up speech. He told me to tell my students, go out there and if you want a career in the arts, it's there. But you have to work hard and apathy is a killer. And then he said, shop smart, have a great play. Bruce Campbell. And <laughs> I read that Bruce and Campbell. I printed it out for each one of my students, passed it out. They fucking went ballistic, fold it up, put it in your pocket, perform with it. And yeah, we killed it. So that's awesome. That's really cool of you to do because, you know, uh, I actually saw that performance and it was awesome. What you brought out of them, I thought was really impressive always. And I was always shocked at how well your choreography uh, was because back right. then I didn't know you were such a prolific dancer. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I got some moves. You, know, you do have some moves. I'm going to go ahead and say you have surprised <laughs> me over the years. Yes. Uh, but I met Bruce Campbell back in the day um, on the Bubba Hotep tour. Great movie. Yeah, where he plays 70-year-old Elvis. Uh, it's him and Ossie Davis. As JFK. Yes. And uh, Bruce Campbell was in Chicago. They were showing the film, uh, I think, at the Landmark. And the manager let me use his office. I was going to interview him for a website I was writing for. I was fresh out of college. So I was a young pup. You could tell this was probably the fourth show he's done. And he's Damn, talked to people since 6 a.m. hustling, grinding. So <laughs> finally, I go up to the office, and I'm sitting where you would sit behind the desk. He sits across from me, throws his feet up on the desk, eats a hot dog dog and says shoot kid fuck yeah that's exactly how i want yeah. to envision yeah. bruce campbell it's like a painting dude like i can just <laughs> I wanna, like, commission someone to draw that picture that's just fucking beauty dude swallow this uh back in the day i used to ask whoever i was interviewing to slip me a fun fact something they haven't told everybody already and bruce campbell told me a wild story can i share it yes please so he lives in oregon right and one of his neighbors is none other than Steven Seagal. What? One of Bruce Campbell's neighbors is Steven Seagal. <laughs> he told me this. Oh my God. Okay. And one day, Bruce Campbell and Steven Seagal yes. rented a U-Haul truck, drove, I believe he said down south, maybe further in state, to a, a lilac or orchid field, and they picked flowers together to then bring back to their own properties to replant. So, I'm in. I'm yeah. in HGTV. The- let's just get this. Like, Bruce Campbell, Steven Seagal picking flowers <laughs> yes. has happened in the universe we all live in. Yeah, I had no idea that existed, and I want more of that. I want to picture these two guys just brushing their fingertips through through the lavender and just smelling yeah. the tips and yeah. just having a fucking nice little. Yeah. Summer afternoon. Do you think Bruce used a chainsaw to cut down the flowers? I, I can only hope that in this serene valley of Lambert. Seagal's got the samurai sword up, out. <laughs> he rips up a fucking chainsaw. And yeah, Seagal's is just like breaking the stems like over his knee and elbow. And like, he's just snapping he's like, them. Let me show you how to do it. You got to break it like this. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, let's do this show. I don't know. We, we need it. That's so there you go. Uh, if that does not convince you to track down Bruce Cam if you don't already know who he is and watch Evil Dead 2, then I don't know what else to tell you in life to convince you. Yeah, yeah, then you're fucking up. Then let's head down into that cellar and carve ourselves a witch. The Christmas classic, 1988, John McTarran's Die Hard. Ooh, boy. That's what I'm about, dude. yippee ki motherfucker. It's really about a group of Terrys who busted into the Nakatomi Plaza led by Hans Gruber, a.k.a. Alan Rickman. They're trying to steal some bombs. They're trying to get that money. 
And then old Bruce Willie, a.k.a. Willie. John McClane, is over at this Christmas party trying to rekindle things with his wife. You know, out of state, New York cop in L.A. In way over his head. Yeah. He's just like, he, he's already uncomfortable by the presence of L.A., just in the limo itself. <laughs> and he rolls in there, and he sees that everybody's in danger, and there's only one dude that can save the day, and that's old shoeless Bruce Willis. Nine million terrorists in the world, and I gotta kill one with feet small and my sister. It's safe to say, at least per my experience, this is the first, like, everyman action film. Yeah, like, as much as I was hypnotized by the throbbing muscles of Predator, um, Die Hard is a little more real to me. Even though <laughs> the movie's completely ridiculous, but I can relate to Bruce Willis. There's one day I can grow up and look like him, and oddly enough... Uh, bald head, uh, I kind of do, you know? So. Uh, old Bruce Willis, yes. Yeah, like Bruce Willis now, yeah, I look like him, which is weird <laughs> because he's still like 30 years older than me. <laughs> but I still have this Bruce Willis vibe. But yeah, I mean, it, it gave you like this this guy that is relatable. I mean, he could look like an uncle or a dad or something like that. And you're like, look at this guy, he's saving the day. And he's funny, he's sarcastic. And he's just he's just cool. And, and you want him to to save you yeah i mean dude he's a fucking cowboy man yippee kaye that's how he rolls this movie just it was it's one of the best action movies made again like we always talk about our these movies that are like it does the genre well and then it adds another little flair to it yeah this kind of becomes uh the modern blueprint yeah absolutely how many times do you see a movie where there's just a regular dude, now I have to kill all these terrorists because they're in this building or there's a bomb on a train or there's a bomb on a bus? Yeah, you wouldn't have a very particular set of skills without Die Hard. Exactly. You know, and Bruce Willis works perfectly for this movie. If this was a Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, it'd be completely different. Who are you then? It's the fly in the ointment, Hearns. The monkey in the wrench, the pain in the ass. So, um, for people watching Die Hard for the first time, which I can't believe there's anybody in America who hasn't seen Die Hard, but for people watching it for the first time, what do you hope they get out of it? Oh, uh, I just hope they get a new movie that they can watch every Christmas, because it's just it it will you when you watch Die Hard, you'll see all the movies that you've already seen essentially you'll be like oh so this is where it all started from this is you know uh patient zero essentially for the modern day action movie mm. you know enjoy bruce willis like i think that people kind of get turned turned off by bruce willis a little bit now but this is like this is the first bruce willis movie this yeah, is this like, is fresh off moonlighting like, yeah he's cool here he's he's cool in wearing this. a wife beater like nobody can just yeah greased up and um, what I really take away from Die Hard is I wear shoes all the time. <laughs> I have soft feet and I do not like to walk on glass and I do not want to be in a situation where I have to wear glass. So I'm always in shoes, dude. I get up and I put my shoes on. I'm not letting in this bed? happen to me. Yeah. Swimming pool? So I, got, I got those like little, uh, you know, sea shoes. Shower? Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, bloody feet, you know, just beat up and he could do it all. Yeah, Die Hard is pretty much, uh, that's the ultimate action film, man. Um, 
I uh, would have put it on my list, except I already kind of guessed it was going on your list. Um, but it is a film that everybody should see if you love action movies. And I would like to note that Bruce Willis said himself, it is not a Christmas movie. And Bruce Willis, you are wrong. Yes, Bruce Willis has said many things I disagree with over the years, so just add that one to the list. <laughs> now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. What do you got next for us, Gary? Uh, this is probably... Now, you know what? I'm going to backtrack on that. It's not probably. It is the best action movie of this century. Whoa. I am talking about Mad Max Fury Road, directed by George Miller. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Um, So Mad Max Fury Road is the fourth installment in the Mad Max franchise. It's basically about a dystopian future where everyone is either punk rock renegades or cannibals. And Mad Max, originally played by Mel Gibson, is this crazy fucker looking for gasoline and revenge because the mutants have killed his family. Uh, He's a former cop, but in this wasteland, there is no law and order. So I exist in this wasteland a man reduced to a single instinct survive and what's unique about Mad Max Fury Road is it was made almost 20 years after the third Mad Max and Mad Max this time played by Tom Hardy is not the main character the main character is Furiosa played by Charlize Theron oh man Charlize Theron is so badass in this movie and in general, but in this movie, yeah, she's really, had one arm. Like, yeah, come on. this world's so fucked up in this movie that water is hard to get. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, she's someone that's been loyal uh, to this clan, and she's basically about to betray them. And once they become wise to her plan, they send out their uh, band of misfit renegades, jamming electric guitars, shooting arrows and bombs and missiles and spray painting their mouths chrome right. when they're ready to die. And I'm going to die historic on the Fury Road. And then it's like a two hour uh, heart beating car chase through the desert. I mean, that's really, it's that, that movie starts and does not stop. I think that there's like 15 minutes of downtime. Maybe, maybe of that, but by then your, your heart's still racing and it's coming down. It's just a relentless action film. Yeah. Full of incredible stunts. Um, and for me, I've always been attracted to the dystopian type films. They were always something that, uh, it's just, a big interest of mine. Maybe I just think the world's going to end soon and I'm just trying to get prepared. Or maybe I just love these kind of films. Or maybe a little of both. Right. So the end of the world is what really uh, ties you to to this film. You, you're you believing that this is uh, a little preview to, to the future or what? Yes. And I think that uh, the skills necessary to survive the end of the world, they're, they're somewhere in this film. So if I watch oh. it enough times... I will acquire those skills. It's already safe to say I do not have those skills. I will not have those skills. <laughs> and I love watching this movie with people for the first time. I recently just showed my my cousin and his girlfriend. They're like, oh, I've never seen it. I'm like, no, we're watching it. And just to hear the 
the breath get vacuumed out of the the room. Like no one's breathing for two hours. Yeah. Like what yeah. the hell? Eyes bugged out. Like what did I just sign up for? And the movie starts like that. It grabs you and it ties you to the back of a trailer hitch and then just drives you through a fucking desert. Fucking drags you through a desert, dude. It's gnarly. It's an awesome, visceral experience. Yeah, some of the best car stunts you're ever going to see. Some of the weirdest, most unique, disgusting mutants you're ever going to see. And, you know, for people that uh, have never seen a Mad Max film, you could actually just watch this one by itself. And it, it does pretty well stand alone. I do always recommend you see the originals and where they started. Remember me? Um, but I just think that Fury Road... It is my jam. Uh, it will forever be my jam. And to think that 70-year-old George Miller made this film in the middle of the desert where he was just being baked with sand and heat no, and filth you. and just all the explosions and car chases and stunts. I don't know how he endured this shoot. Absolutely. I mean, what when you're watching this movie, it's just crazy to think that there's very little special effects in this movie. I mean, they did a lot of this practical. I mean, obviously, you'll see some of the green screen stuff and color that they add, but they were driving those things. Those people were on those poles swinging around, and there's yeah. fire and danger every shot, every day. You you have to have like straight bubble guts thinking, like, is this the day that someone dies you know, flying a motorcycle. And there was times where it was very, very close. And it's just, thank you for putting yourself through that, the cast and crew of Mad Max, because I have no desire to do that. I'm like anxious just thinking about that. Yeah, for people that have seen the the film, the the pole swingers yes. and uh, the heavy metal band that is basically playing their war cry. With that'll a make guitar sense. that shoots fire. Yes. Yeah, a double neck guitar that shoots fire. At the premiere... They were there. So they had that band dressed like that, and they had people swinging from poles while you walked into the premiere. That's That's why it was so fucking cool. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Come on, right? Yeah. So Mad Max Fury Road. uh, If you don't know, now you know. All right, Doge, what do you got next for us? Going with the 1998 cult classic, Big Lebowski. I like your style, dude. The dude abides, the doge abides. The Cohen brothers abide. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie, it's just really kind of hard to describe what this movie is. But basically, it's about a stolen rug, a case of mistaken identity, and a severed uh, green pinky toe. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's all you really need to know. because John Goodman's a gun nut, and I think they peed on the rug, right? Yeah, they defecated on <laughs> they his defecated. rug, man. Yeah. Um, no, mitri- mitriated. There's a word that the real Big Lebowski or the real Lebowski says, mitricated, which I never heard that word. That's a great offbeat comedy with um, great cast. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. You know what really, what I feel connects me though to this movie, What why this is really on my list is that, you know, there's this time growing up, you know, in your 20s when you when you get back from the bar and you're just fucking smashed and you got some food that you're going to shove in your mouth and then you get in your brain that you're like, I got to put a movie on and I'm going to eat this food and I'm going to watch this movie. Um, nine times out of ten, that movie was Big Lebowski. I would mm. put it in, I'd eat my food, and I would just smile and curl up and let... You know, Walter just screamed me to sleep. <laughs> Do you see what happens, Larry, when you fuck a stranger in the ass? 
So you've seen the first 20 minutes of this film. How yeah, I really actually have no idea how it ends, but <laughs> I like how it starts. You know, there, there's just a vibe to it, the music, and just the dude, man. And I think you you kind of take that that energy and that vibe, and you're like, you know, the Lebowski, Lebowski's got it right. I mean... Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Big Lebowski is a hard film to kind of uh, nail down because it breaks conventions. Um, but... Uh, it's this film that's taken on a cult-like status. Um, it's it's just as popular today as it was in in '98 when it came it's out. More popular. I mean, these people yeah. like there's people that there's podcasts about Big Lebowski. There's huge events, bowling events, and dress-up events is like Lebowski Fest. That's that's awesome to be able to create a movie that people just take and run with. I mean, that's a modern day, like Rocky horror picture show for just uh middle-aged bowlers. <laughs> like it's, it's what brings people to get together, having some white Russians <laughs> throwing some bowling balls down the, the alley and quoting big Lebowski. Like, Have you ever seen Jeff Bridges ever play a character like that or anyone for that matter? Yeah. I mean, he really just loses himself. In He's that. the most lovable slacker in cinema. Yeah, I there's how do you not love Jeff Bridges in general? Like Jeff Bridges kills it all the time. Yeah. But I think it's once he did Lebowski that everyone was just like, Oh, that's my that's my boy now. Now I, I fuck with him hard now. Yeah. Like Jeff Bridges is like he's just gone on to just get cooler and cooler. Like I think Jeff Bridges did Big Lebowski and he was just like, Wait a minute, I'm fucking super cool and i'm i'm just gonna do that now and everyone's just like yes i want i want jeff bridges in my life who's your favorite character i mean there's so many um but i'm gonna go with just donnie donnie's just so (laughs) so sweet and his like little arc and how they just kind of use him is just so perfect to be the vessel between the dude who's just super chill and walter who's just super fired up and then there's just donnie kind of like hey guys what's going on like he's just right Uh, outside donnie played by steve buscemi the great steve buscemi yes i should probably mention if you didn't know uh yeah jeff bridges john goodman steve buscemi philip seymour hoffman has an amazing role in this. How about John Turturro? John Turturro, you got you can just go down the laundry list of people, and you got Julianne Moore. It's the Coen Brothers being the Coen Brothers. I could have put um, three or four Coen Brothers movies on this list, but I took this one because this is the one that um, just I can relate to. I can watch this anytime. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel happy. If I'm fucking stressed out, I could put on a big Lebowski, smoke a fatty, and just fucking chill. Dude. So it's safe to say big Lebowski is your comfort food. It is my comfort food. Yeah, this is probably uh, the major comfort food on this one. I eat this every day, all day, every day. So when you introduce this film to anyone who hasn't seen it, which I don't know if anyone hasn't seen it. I mean, it's such a popular film. It's such a, it's a film that's taken on a life of its own. Uh, what is your hope? I know that Big Lebowski, it might not make sense to everybody. Again, I think a lot of the movies that we're talking about, you either get them or you don't. Um, it's a weird one. I mean, even Sam Elliott, fucking great Sam Elliott. Narrating. Sam Elliott doesn't get the movie. And he's admitted that. And he's asked the Coen brothers, like, what's, what? why am I here? And they're like, I, I don't know. Because you have just, the best voiceover voice right now. Uh, he does, man. If there's one person I would like to have phone sex with, it's Sam Elliott. <laughs> 
Um, just because I think that would be that would be pretty. Do awesome. you think you could feel his mustache through their phone? I hope he just like rubs it on that like that mic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta agree with you, man. Why not? Lebowski transcends. It didn't make my list, but I'm really glad it's on yours. This aggression will not stand, man. Uh, my next film on my dirty dozen is 1973's Coffee, directed by Ooh. Jack Hill. So you want to play with knives, huh? Well, you picked the wrong player. What's this uh, Jack Hill movie about here? What is, well, what, Coffee what is, is, stars Pam Greer, mm -hmm. one of my favorite actresses ever. Um, and she plays a nurse whose sister essentially uh, gets mixed up with uh, some drug dealers. Uh, things don't end up good for her. And Coffee turns from nurse to... Uh, vigilante justice you know there you go. all your friends are dead why well, kill them all so what do you feel connects you to this movie the intimacy that you can see in every frame you know jack hill originally started off with a great roger corman and he was making these films on just nickels that he was rubbing together and on schedules that were just murderous just you know he'd shoot them in 15 16 days just running and gunning and yeah and and, and and when i saw like how much he put in to all of these films of himself how much the actors put in how important it was to everybody who was making it i felt like wow you know that was really a different side of independent cinema that i kind of wanted to attach myself to so you know the phrase, good, fast, or cheap, you know, you could pick two out of those three, but Coffee is one of those movies that oh, was done very quickly, very cheaply, and is awesome. It's so entertaining. It's so entertaining, and Pam Greer's just so fantastic in it, and it really opened doors for a lot of other black actresses, which was long overdue. And I know, it, you know, in most people's opinion, and, and, and rightfully so, uh, the first... Uh, Black representation in mainstream film was Sidney Poitier, but Pam Greer also being a woman and being so fucking badass. In yeah, it allows you know people of all races and genders to have their action movies. Everybody deserves to have somebody that they can relate to or look like or look up to kick ass. There's someone that we get like, yeah, Pam Greer, she's badass. You know, like everybody deserves that. That hero. Yeah. And, uh, you know, interesting enough, um, I did get to meet Jack Hill one time and uh, I had asked him some questions about, you know, coffee and, and Foxy Brown, which later inspired Tarantino's Jackie Brown, again with Pam Greer in the lead, bringing her back. Um, and, and some of the films he had done, Switchblade Sisters and Swinging Cheerleaders. And uh, uh, he'd actually told me, um, he wouldn't a lot of times be able to be in the edit room when they were cutting his films. So he would shoot them a certain way and have certain coverage that the editor basically had to cut it the way he wanted wow. because he has to work so fast and every day, you know, there can't be any, any anything left, you know? Um, he's basically put the whole movie together in his head. And I just thought that that was exceptional. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so, so for people watching this movie for the first time, what uh, what do you want them to get out of it? Uh, Pam Greer on screen as no one has seen a heroine before. You want to spit on me and make me crawl? All right, dude. Uh, I'm out. All this talking about Evil Dead 2 uh, has <laughs> made me want to go watch Evil Dead 2. 
Of course it has. Uh, so I guess that's the end for now. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll just pick it up, uh, you know, on the next one. All right, this is a two-parter. Uh, apparently, uh, there'll be a part two of The Dirty Dozen. Yes, there will be. <laughs> All right, I'm Gary Michael Schultz. And I'm Doge. And this is Cinematic Quicksand. Strikes and gutters, ups and downs. Follow Cinematic Quicksand on all your favorite social media and podcast platforms. Music for Cinematic Quicksand was written and performed by Rudy Mancuso and Jamie Rice.